Hey there, Empowered Tribe. It's Angela T. Moore. You are getting ready to experience the 14th episode of Empowered, a health and wellness podcast where I share my personal journey of health and healing, tips for mental and physical health, interviews with health and wellness experts and those bold enough and vulnerable enough to share their own journeys to empower you to succeed in yours. We know that life can be rewarding. It can also be challenging. It has its ups and downs, highs and lows. I learned that with a strong mind and a fit body, you are better able to grow through and grow from whatever life throws your way. My goal is to share journeys of health and wellness, as well as tips and information from extraordinary people all around the world to help you live an empowered life. My guest, Sean DeForest, the president and CEO of MySide, and held the same role within Southwest Solutions for 24 years before its merger with Development Centers Incorporated. In this episode, Sean openly shares his personal journey of experiencing domestic violence and abuse, instability, as well as his father's mental illness. Overcoming challenges through education and a self-pride developed in Trinidad, Sean defeated obstacles and maximized opportunities to work his way up from an entry-level case manager position to high-level executive roles. Now entering his third year leading the largest nonprofit in Southwest Detroit, Sean's background remains a motivating factor in helping to break the cycle of poverty. He worked to develop MySide's theory of change, which aims to improve equity in health, housing, and wealth for individuals and families in Southwest Detroit, and upholds its vision of providing people of all ages in Wayne County with the support they need to succeed and prosper in life so they can feel empowered to follow their dreams and give back to their community. I hope you enjoy the episode. So, Sean, I learned recently that you were born in Denver, Colorado in 1976 and lived with your family until, unfortunately, a domestic uh, violent incident led you to, led, excuse me, to your parents' divorce when you were nine years old and that life at times was quite difficult for you. What can you tell me about your upbringing and what was life, you know, what was life like for you? Yeah, um, you know, it was it was good at times, but there were definitely times of instability and insecurity. Um, my uh, family immigrated from a small island in the Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I, my dad was pursuing his uh, PhD in petroleum engineering in, uh, at a school in Colorado. So he moved my mother, my brother at the time, um, all of whom were from and born and raised in Trinidad, Tobago to Colorado. Uh, and then I was born soon after. Um, and unfortunately, you know, my father had a, a lot of trauma in his background um, and suffered from PTSD uh, and some untreated mental health issues. So we had periods of instability, um, and there were certainly periods of abuse and violence in the home that ultimately led to my parents getting divorced when I was around nine. Um, and frankly, in some ways, it saved me uh, because in response, um, my parents sent my brother and I to live with relatives in Trinidad, and we lived there for the next four years uh, with aunts and uncles and family members who were there. Um, and I sort of credit that change to really saving my life. And changing. Really? That's really interesting. It's funny because I don't know how familiar you are with my own personal story, 
But mm-hmm. I had a very significant uh, traumatic event happen where my mother died of a massive stroke. I actually hauled her in my arms while she was suffering a stroke. But I have to tell you, Sean, I don't think, and this may be so hard for people to understand because things were so bad prior to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that if she had not passed away or things had not drastically changed, mm-hmm. I don't think that we would have made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I really don't think that change would have happened yeah. had she not passed because she wasn't going to make a different decision. Yeah. You know, because of where she was. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing how sometimes those events that are so traumatic and shocking at the time end up being the events that are the positive changes in our lives. Um, so anyway, yeah. this was the case for me. And I'm, I'm sorry about your mom's passing. Yeah. No, thank you. And I, you know, I see that for some, you know, because for some people that may be really hard to understand of how being away from someone or the passing of someone can be the thing that saves your life. And because I'm a spiritual person, I believe I know my mom's in heaven and I do not. So there's a part in me that can heal and feel healthy in that. Uh, but I do believe, honestly, that had not that happened, the necessary change that needed to happen in my in my life and in other people's lives would not have happened. Yeah. So I thank you for sharing that um, about your own personal life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe just to add some context to that, uh, you know, part of it was the, um, the challenges that were in my family environment before my brother and I moved to Trinidad. But part of it, especially given that it's Black History Month, um, uh, really had to do with struggles around my own identity. I mean, we lived in a small, somewhat rural part of Colorado. We were the only Black family uh, that was there. Um, so being, you know, two black boys in an all white town uh, in the 70s to 80s was not the easiest place to be, um, especially with everything we had going on at home. And moving to Trinidad, which is a country that has lots of national pride, is about uh, 90% black and brown mm. uh, and really strives on uh, excellence, black excellence, brown excellence, and a lot of personal and national pride um, really helped shape who I am today and helped me um, uh, form a more uh, solid identity than I had when I was a, a young kid in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that was quite the culture shock. Yeah, yeah. you talk about that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's one thing to grow up with parents who are uh, sort of raising you in the culture that they were raised, which was a very Trinidadian culture. It's another thing to actually live in the place. And we had visited a couple times in my youth, um, but before my brother and I moved there and actually touched down at the airport, I'd never lived there or spent more than maybe a week at a time there. Uh, so I was in a country um, with uh, where I didn't know anybody except for a few of my relatives that still lived there who I, I was now living with. Um, the school system was very different. Uh, back then they still practiced corporal punishment so they could uh, beat you in school if you did things. Wow. Like and I didn't know that. So I remember my first day of school and there was a kid acting up and a teacher pulled him out of the line and they, they had, uh, this, it's a piece of sugar cane that's dried and wrapped with electrical tape, sort of like a whip. Uh, and they used it to, you know, give this, uh, young man who was acting out, um, some corporal punishment. And I was just floored. I couldn't believe that this was happening. It was so different 
from anything I had ever experienced or expected. So just as an example, the kind of culture shock. Thanks. Yeah, you think? <laughs> that sounds like a major culture shock, definitely. Now, it was interesting. I learned in my research that you moved, though, to Salt Lake City, I want to say, uh, when you were 13 to attend high school. Right. Okay, so what was it like returning to the United States to attend high school? <laughs> yeah. So a different kind of culture shock. I really loved living in Trinidad. I'd acclimated... Um, I had my my full Trini accent to the point I had a friend in school there who was blind. And okay. when, I, when I came back from the summer for my last year in Trinidad, he couldn't recognize my voice because my accent was so Trinidadian at that point. Wow. So I was not looking to leave, but my, my father was with a company that had relocated to Salt Lake City and mm-hmm. felt like it was time for us to come back to the States and wanted us to go to high school in the States. So uh, we moved there. And it was a different kind of culture shock because when I moved to Salt Lake City, I think the black population was 0.65%. So imagine, you know, one, um, you know, we need uh, uh, 200 uh, people to get one black person uh, in Salt Lake City. So it was, it was quite a shock. And shortly after- Opposite, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Total opposite. And shortly after we moved there, uh, my dad's company folded. He lost his job, uh, fell into a pretty deep depression. So we went through a period of homelessness and more instability, um, but we're still able to find success while we were there. Mm-hmm. Now, take me back to that time, because I understand you mentioned at the very beginning that your dad had uh, you know, suffered from PTSD, you just kind of reemphasize that. And, and as you mentioned right now, it's in a state of depression, things are not going well. And for many people uh, that have not had to deal with instability or have not had to deal with a mental disorder, they may not completely understand how challenging that can be. But also what I have found is that oftentimes out of that comes these powerful individuals like yourself that are able to turn that into um, something very beautiful and powerful. I, I believe that it's, you definitely um, are able to build a resilience yeah. and an ability to overcome great obstacles that many people don't have. But I don't know if people understand how difficult it can be to not lose yourself mm. when you're in such a period of instability. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, part of what those experiences helped form in me was a a deep sense of empathy that I didn't know that I had before. Um, And uh, I think it helped me as I went later on in life to understand how fragile, uh, um, you know, consistent and safe life is uh, and how easily someone's um, path can be derailed by circumstances they have no control over. Uh, and I think after, um, as as I grew up, I I found I, I sort of found myself gravitating towards work that was about um, helping people that were suffering from circumstances that were largely out of their control that were derailing their lives. Uh, and I eventually found my way into social. Yeah, well, you know, I found it very interesting because as I was, you know, doing research and I was, you know, reading about you and kind of re-familiarizing myself because as we were talking before the, the segment today, 
you know, I've interviewed you a couple times, you know, and we'll talk about your organization shortly. Yeah. And I saw that you were at one point, um, I'm sorry, you had actually attended a pre-med uh, program. And so you're obviously smart. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 but you know, it's, it's one thing to have the intelligence. It's another thing to have this passion. Um, this something that's in you that yearns to help other people. So talk about that. And then you kind of talked about how you moved into social work and how you've kind of moved and evolved to where you are today. Yeah. And by the way, as as much as there was some difficulty when we moved to Salt Lake City because of what was happening with my my dad, um, I was incredibly lucky uh, because we um, found a private um, Catholic school that we were able to enroll in. And despite our financial challenges, the parish paid for most of the tuition because we were parishioners oh. in the church. Wow. So I was I was in this safe environment and education became a refuge for me uh, and a place where I found support. Um, uh, and and it's um, really helped me uh, get ready to move out of the state as soon as I could uh, when I graduated. Really? Uh, <laughs> you know, I up coming to school at the University yeah. of Michigan, eventually was pre-med. Because for every immigrant parent, that's the dream for their child, right? Is to become mm. a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. That's so me. I thought that was my path when really that was more my parents' dream. And what changed me in college was I got involved in a volunteer program uh, where I spent um, uh, time in a couple different prisons in Michigan doing uh, creative writing workshops and debate workshops with inmates mm. and college students. Wow. And I was lucky enough to spend three years of my my four years at, at the University of Michigan involved in this program. And it absolutely changed the direction of my career because here I was on one side of the glass or, or one uh, uh, part of the prison as a privileged college student. And on the other side of the glass were the uh, folks who I found to be equally as talented and brilliant and interesting and worldly but for some reason, the, the circumstances they experienced in their lives or the decisions they made winded, ended up having them where they were as opposed to where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's when I started finding my way toward a career, like I said, that was about, you know, how do you um, prevent the tragedies and unexpected events that happen in life from derailing people from reaching their full potential and staying on the path that they're meant to follow. Uh, because the amount of talent and skill that we lose uh, because we just don't have the systems to help folks weather those unexpected circumstances is tragic. And had I not had the help of that school and family members in Trinidad um, and these points of just absolute luck, I would have been on that same side of the prison with a college student visiting me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have to tell you, I'm so honored to hear you say share what you just shared because I don't think that I'll just say this. It would be very easy, or I'll say this. I think it's very easy mm-hmm. for people to think about prisoners and people, inmates, yeah. people that are incarcerated, and to have a very uh, 
I would say a a view of them that it must be it's the fault is their fault that they're there that you know how why would you do the things that you've done that have caused you to be incarcerated that have caused you to be arrested that is made you throw your life away when we are all people that are one decision one choice away from doing something that could end us in prison that could end in our death that could be harmful to someone else or could completely derail our lives and we need to remember that and so thank you so much for for sharing that because you're right you and i we, we could for many different reasons not be where we are today yeah absolutely exactly and I mean, the the lesson for me was so um, poignant, so in my face, you know. Um, uh, I mean, I had a, a a parent that had a PhD and still experienced homelessness at one point in my life and and instability, mm-hmm. um, right? And and the majority of of folks that are in prison are there for substance use disorder issues or property crimes related to substance use or mental health issues often that go untreated, uh, which to me is the real crime, mm-hmm. um, you know, that we aren't able to give people the treatment they need. And instead we punish them for decisions they make because of their untreated illness uh, or difficult circumstances. So um, all that to say, that is what I decided I wanted to dedicate my career to. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand you mentioned that you that you started that your path started with that initial volunteer work that you were doing. Um, but I do recollect when I was doing my research on you that you 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 did additional um, volunteer work as well. Right. With other organizations. Sure. And actually um, there I had a mentor uh, that was a part of that program I was involved in. And when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after graduation, he actually connected me with a place where he used to work um, called Growth Works, uh, which was adolescents that were um, involved in uh, early drug use uh, or were requiring treatment. And um, I was able to get my first job at a college as a case manager working with uh, youth that were in the juvenile justice system who had uh, drug use in their background. And uh, that is really when I discovered the profession of social work. Before that, I didn't even know that it really existed. Gotcha. Felt like I had found my calling. Um, and I think over time, uh, as much as I loved the direct work with clients, I started to realize that my interests were in having a bigger impact than just on the individual. Uh, really wanted to change organizations and systems and larger social problems. And I think that's how I found myself moving higher and higher up the organizational ladder in nonprofits. Gotcha. Now, I, now when I interviewed you before, I was I interviewed you specifically, you know, as CEO of Southwest Solutions. And we talked a lot about, you know, the different pillars of that organization. And I understand that there's been a merger between uh, Southwest Solutions and Development Centers. And it's so funny because I interviewed you from Southwest Solutions and I also have been interviewed individuals from Development Centers. It's just kind of funny how you guys have merged. Um, and you were a significant part of that merger. Can you talk about that? And uh, and just kind of, if you could tell me like what that process was like, because you're bringing 
two significant organizations together. And you're the perfect person to head something and lead something like that because of all the things that we just talked about. You know, you are a perfect person to understand the people that are going to be seeking the services, that are going to be needing those services of those organizations and why it's so important. You're going to know better than most. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think what it was really about was a perfect match between two organizations with similar missions mm-hmm. and, and like-minded people. Um, and the organization was really driven both by myself and the longtime CEO of Development Centers, Kathy Leesman, Dr. Kathy Leesman, um, who worked for Development Centers for 40 years, had been their CEO for the last um, seven or eight, and was starting to think about retirement. And she and I did a lot of um, advocacy work uh, together when I started at Southwest Solutions. And we, we, in our advocacy work, just started in casual conversation, recognizing that there was so much more that we could do for the community together okay. uh, rather than just two separate standalone organizations. Gotcha. And those casual conversations started to turn more formal. And we brought in members of our boards of directors from both organizations just to engage in the conversation and see, is there something really here that's worth exploring this idea that we are stronger together and could do more for the community than we, we could apart? And it just became crystal clear, I think, to all of us, the board members, Kathy, myself, that um, we could offer a more comprehensive services set of services to people in the Metro Detroit area if we were one organization. We could have more influence around policy and bringing resources to the Metro Detroit area if we were a bigger organization. We could cover more Detroit if we were a combined organization. We could recruit staff, retain staff, build a better workforce if we were a bigger organization. And so after about 18 months of exploration, um, you know, we made the decision it was time to form one out of two. Uh, and that's how we became my side, Community Impact Network. Okay, so tell me about my side. How my side is this merge, this merge, this combination of these two phenomenal organizations, as you said, with similar missions. What is the now combined collective mission of my side? Yeah. So what was what's interesting about development centers and Southwest Solutions is we we had a lot of overlap in the services we provided. And part of the reason for that was because we both recognized the same issue in the people we serve, which was that okay. they were not one dimensional and neither were their problems. They would come to us because they were struggling with a behavioral health issue. But when we started digging below the surface, they also had a housing issue. Uh, maybe they had difficulty finding or maintaining employment. Um, they needed someone to help them improve their skills so they could earn a living wage. Or they were unbanked and had poor credit and need somebody to help them with that so they could actually rent a quality apartment in a good place to become more stable. And both of us separately, I think, evolved this complex set of services, recognizing that people needed more than just one thing. And we were trying to offer that to them. So when we came together, um, we were able to scale up a lot of those services that overlapped: behavioral health, workforce development, career services, financial literacy, um, and even some housing supports. At the same time, we each brought something unique to the table. Southwest Solutions was really strong in affordable housing. 
for family gotcha. individuals. And development centers was really strong in working with infants and toddlers, uh, pregnant moms through kids age uh, five or six. Um, so by bringing it all together, we could offer four pillars of service, early childhood development education, affordable housing, behavioral health and integrated healthcare, and um, financial supports, workforce development, and adult education. So we feel like mm -hmm. that continuum of services has the potential to transform families' lives for generations, communities' lives for a generation. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that I feel that unfortunately happens with a lot of families is that you have individuals within a family that are for some reasons for different reasons either unwell or well mm -hmm. and so those individuals that are unwell they have a negative impact on those individuals that are well sure. and the individuals that are well um dealing with the unwell person it can be very overwhelming and sometimes what ends up happening is that it has a negative impact on the whole. That's right. Yeah. And so it's so important for any organization that's going to have a real generational impact and generational impact beyond that generation that you're currently working with is that you have to help everyone that's in the family that's understand. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, and and not just the family, but then when you move further out and see some of the same challenges that they're wrestling with in their community, uh, we also see our mission as an organization as working alongside the community to address those challenges as well. And for us, um, development centers had really deep roots in the Brightmore community and in the Cody Rouge community. Southwest Solutions had really deep roots in Southwest Detroit. So we think about those three communities as our, our neighborhoods of focus, mm -hmm. where you know we serve anybody across Metro Detroit in our those four pillars of service I mentioned. But in those three neighborhoods, we are committed to working alongside the community to try to improve the conditions of the community for the people who live there. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't understand how significant that uh commuter community revitalization or the, the community focus of really addressing issues uh that affect a community as a whole yes i can think about a very significant time in my life and i'll say this very quickly when uh prior to my mom's death when we lived in a really well we went from a okay place to a really nice place and so i had the opportunity sean to see what it was like to live in a healthy environment to be around healthy people to be around healthy schools to be in a healthy neighborhood uh, and then things drastically changed for us. We moved to an area where it was complete opposite of that. There were the schools were there were there were a lot of unhealthy um, people. The, the environment was very unhealthy. There was a lot of instability. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of blight. the The community was bleeding, yeah. and it was amazing the negative impact that that had. That move, that shift into that community that was dying. Yeah. It was amazing how it was leading to the death of my family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And had I not had the experience of being in a positive environment before I went to the negative environment, 
I don't know that I would have recognized the shift and I could see how someone who only grew up in a negative environment when could get stuck. Sure. You know, and 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 not see their way out or even know to seek a way out. And so that's why organizations like MindSight are so important because you're you're addressing all the needs of the f- different members of the family. You're looking at them from a holistic perspective. You're looking at them as a whole. And you're also looking at the communities that they live within because if they want to do better, but their communities are not better, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. And um, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I think for us, we really wanted to be able to treat the person in front of us and not the problem. Uh, and yeah. people people are are complicated and complex and have lots of things going on in their lives. And I, I think being my side allows us to help people with every side of life. There, there are multiple challenges that they're facing. Um, and for us to actually see people as people and not just the one problem that they happen to be coming to us for. And when you talk about, um, you know, you and I both have experiences with trauma, as, as do our parents. But when you talk about a community where trauma happens on an epidemic level to so many people in the community, you, you get a sense of how that starts to tear at the fabric of the community and everybody is struggling together in a place which, you know, has some strengths that can come out of it, but also just makes the environment a lot more difficult for the people that are there. Yeah, yeah most definitely. So what now that you know, you have this wonderful combination, these two amazing organizations have merged into this, you know, phenomenal organization that's going to be able to meet the needs at so many different levels, as you mentioned. Uh, what now? What are you guys trying to achieve? Yeah. So, well, I'll tell you, um, I really appreciate this opportunity to be on your show and get the word out about my side. Uh, because part of what we're trying to achieve is to re-educate all of our former supporters and the community about who we are. Mm-hmm. And all the services we offer. That's that's the challenge that comes with the name change. Um, gotcha. <laughs> like, <what's laughs> um, but the other thing we're really focused on is getting good at um, treating people, understanding uh, the, the multiple needs that people are struggling with, individuals and families, no matter which of the my side doors they come through. And then getting really good at connecting them with all the services they need, either inside of my site or if we don't offer it, with a partner that's in the community. Um, we think we do a disservice to the people we serve if we ignore uh, you know, challenges that they have or fail to connect them with people or services or supports that can help them with those challenges and only do the thing that our government payer sources or our foundation sources are paying us to do. Gotcha. Um, that's not who we are. So we're really focused on becoming that organization that no matter what door you come through, whether it's through our affordable housing units or if you come for behavioral health support or a treatment group or um, you're coming because you want housing counseling because you hope to get uh, down payment assistance to purchase a home. We're checking to see if there are other issues that you may need support with and making sure that we connect you with a service to to get you that support. That's what, I, that's what you're focused on right now. Yeah. I love that because I'll ask you this very quickly. Do you find that oftentimes people are unaware of the support that they need? Yes, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, or 
they're aware of it, but they've sort of given up hope that there may be a solution to it uh, because they've had so many doors closed in their face um, when they've sought help because resources have run out or maybe they didn't qualify for one reason or another. Um, I think what we find more often is that people know that they have something that they're struggling with, but they've just lost hope in finding a solution. And I think that's where we can come in uh, to give them some hope that there is a solution there and make sure that there is some support that we're connecting them with um, to address that issue. People learn more about MySide. So if you go to www.myside.org, that's the best place to start because we have um, about 15 different locations across Metro Detroit and those four pillars of service. Uh, you can at least get to see everything we do and everywhere we are through that website. So www.mysidemiside.org. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sean, once again for uh, sharing your your purpose and your passion uh, with me. I am so happy for your success, and I'm so happy that you have continued to use your passion for helping others to help to continue to help people. We need more people like you in the world. <laughs> you too, Angela. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Empowerment with Angela T. Moore. Feel free to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. New episodes come out weekly. Follow our show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.